Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is Saturday, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and the Saturday after the November International Window. We have to take some stock in everything that went down in the November Window. Obviously, the U.S. men's national team comes out four points, and they're sitting comfortably in second place. In the CONCACAF octagonal standings. And who's in first place? No. Not Mexico. Canada is in first place in the group. Little bit of a surprise. Not completely to me or to people who've been following Canada and knew that they have a pretty good team. Pretty special team. Generational team for them. But overall, a good November for the U.S. Not the best second game. And we'll get into that, obviously. We'll dig into the 1-1 draw with Jamaica. But we have a lot to get to. MLS playoffs kick off today on Saturday. NYCFC, Atlanta, Timbers, Minnesota on Sunday. But first, 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 Union Red Bulls kicking off. Subaru Park down in Chester, Pennsylvania. And then you have Sporting Kansas City, Vancouver Whitecaps, Saturday night. We'll touch on the whole thing, the whole field, all 14 teams. To give you an idea, who are the favorites? Who are the dark horses? Before we get into that, we obviously have to talk about U.S. men's national team. Apologies for not getting a show up right after Tuesday's match. Just uh, we had a good run of shows and at a certain point it was kind of like, all right, we could squeeze one in. Before this weekend show And I decided You know what I'm just going to have it All in one show And here we are US Jamaica 1-1 draw In Kingston Tim Weah With a beautiful goal But then Mikel Antonio Responded with an even better goal And after that It was just It was a bit of a flat performance From the Americans And I know US fans were definitely Disappointed And rightfully so Especially after the game against Mexico. And you saw how, how impressive and how dominant and how inspired a performance they had against El Tree. Then you get on the road, you get down to Kingston, not even in front of fans, or that many. There were fans there. Actually, there were a decent number of American fans there. And you just kind of fell flat. And I know some people were kind of like, what is going on? This is unacceptable. This is ridiculous. Look, no one should be happy with it. If you're a U.S. fan, you, you take the point. But happy? No. I don't think any U.S. fans come away from that game happy. But you should try to put it in some perspective and understand that, you know what? Qualifying the road is not easy. Getting results on a consistent basis is not easy. But they did it. They got the point, And now they move on to 2022. But what exactly happened against the Jamaican team that has been better in recent in recent uh, windows? Obviously, they had a terrible start to their qualifying campaign. They had the last minute loss down in Mexico. They got battered at home by Panama. And all of a sudden, you're kind of like, whoa, this is not the Jamaican team we thought. But they've started to put it together. They've started to put some results together. They have Mikel Antonio back. Now they're on four matches unbeaten. And it's still not... It's still not what people expected, but they are a threat. This isn't so much about what happened with Jamaica. This isn't so much about what Jamaica did or didn't do. This is really about the U.S. and how they responded on the road. 
And I think this is a, a situation when you have a team that kind of showed its youth. It showed its inexperience. It showed, you know, is it a combination of, you know, the field, the emotional letdown coming off of the game, the win against Mexico, the fact you were missing some key players, specifically Weston McKinney and the energy that he brings. But it still comes down to players having to perform and not enough players perform to a high level. Didn't show enough of that that kind of intensity that we saw against Mexico. And, that, and that's, it is a bit of a concern, but it's also, you also have to understand that, that you develop that. You get more of these games under your belt. You go on the road more. You, you have more situations where you have to play two games in four, in four days. You have to shake off the first result and get that second result. It comes with experience, individually and as a group. And this group that we saw on Tuesday, this, this U.S. team, this lineup, hasn't played before it, together as a group. So that's the, the, there's the value in that experience. And obviously you don't just want the experience, you want points too. And they did get the one point. They got the road point. In the process, they took some points off the plate for Jamaica. And now the U.S. moves on, and they're in second place. And just going through the performances overall, who who stood out? Who who actually stepped up? Who did what they had to do? Who performed well? Tim Weah, obviously with the beautiful goal. He he looked like he tired as the game went on, and he 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 didn't really produce as many moments as he did, obviously against Mexico, where he was man of the match. Also, and for me, he was man of the match for both matches. Second game, there just wasn't much competition for man of the match. But he, for me, you give it to him for that moment of magic. But if you're Tim Weah, you come out of this November window feeling really good about yourself. Because after everything you've been through, after all the the setbacks, the injuries, the time off, the missed opportunities to, sh- to, to establish your place with the national team, for him to come in here and really take full advantage, it, it was great to see. And he has definitely staked his claim now as a, as a starter when the team is in full strength. And we know it's not going to be easy. We know there's a lot of competition for places when all hands are on deck. But as we know, we haven't seen all hands on deck. We haven't seen it all the entire qualifying window. Giorena's been out since the first match. Christian Pulisic, as we know, missed, what, four or five matches? Well, at least three three matches, the, the October window. So, Tim Weah, you feel good. And if you're a U.S. fan, you should feel good about what you saw from Tim Weah. Yunus Musa, another player who I thought did well. And, and not only did he do well for the second match, because he was great against Mexico, but the fact that it comes out after Greg Berhalter reveals that, hey, Yunus Musa had strep through. He was sick. That's why he was pulled out later in the match, and everyone's kind of like, wait a minute, why is he coming out of the match? He's been great. Well, he's sick. He has strep. And that just really put his performance in in perspective, because it's like here he is battling through an illness on the road and qualifying. One of the few players really stepping up and showing his quality. And that, that for me, that earned me, that earned him some points in my book. Not that he needed him because he was already, you know, his stock is already high. His stock is already soaring. We know what he did against Costa Rica in October, but then against Mexico, he was excellent as well. He's on a roll. And at this point, you're just hoping, you know what, let's see if Valencia, if he can work it out with Valencia so he can get that consistent playing time to sharpen his game. 
Now, obviously, the lack of playing time at Valencia didn't hurt him in November too much, but you still want to see him playing. And hopefully he can start to win those battles for minutes because he's absolutely going to be a key part of what happens in 2022. And not just qualifying, but heading into the World Cup. He's 18 years old right now. He'll turn 19 pretty soon here at the end of this month, November. But it's it's amazing to consider that he's only 18, about to be 19, and he is already at this level. Where's he going to be once he gets more games under his belt? More experiences like this, more road games like this. Gets to know his teammates better. It's great to see. It's great to think about. Now, who else? Well, overall, I, I'd say the disappoint, the biggest disappointing thing about the U.S. performance against Jamaica was just the lack of, of that kind of intensity that we saw against Mexico in terms of the press, in terms of the ability to kind of put pressure on the opponent. And you could argue, well, you know, it's not necessarily easy to do that two games in a row, I guess. But overall, it was a little flat. It was flat for me. The attack, there wasn't a lot of imagination. And we know the field wasn't great. We know that doesn't lend itself to beautiful combination play. And I get all that. But still, it, it for me, it, it left a lot, to, a lot to be desired. Walker Zimmerman, I thought, showed had a solid game. And here's a guy who, in October, wasn't even called into the initial group. John Brooks gets hurt. He gets called in, takes advantage, becomes a starter. And now he heads into 2022 looking like he's really in position to, to, to be a guaranteed top four center back and have a really good claim to start. So that that's, that's what you call taking full advantage of your opportunities when they come. Ricardo Pepe, nice assist on the Tim Weah goal. Um, a, bit, a, a little bit of a quiet performance from him. And but to I'll say it, I'll say it again. He, he just with the work that he puts in, his defensive work will always will mean he always brings some value to the table, even when the chances aren't necessarily there. So the starting striker job is his, and uh, it's going to be tough to take it away from him. Now I know as we head into January, there's going to be the whole idea that look, MLS players are not in season, European based players players are in season. They can't have that advantage on the MLS contingent, specifically Pepe is one of the, the one of the few MLS-based starters right now. And of course, we don't know. Does Pepe leave in January? There's been a lot of talk that he's ready to go. He he wants to move. He's kind of he obviously has interest from Europe. There's there's several clubs that are interested in him. So does he move? Is he playing come January in Europe? So there, there are a lot of questions there, but from what we saw, he, he looks like he's ready to hold on to that job. So if you're a great brawler, you're feeling pretty good about that. And you have options. You have, obviously, Daryl DK came on strong at the end of the regular season in MLS. Josh Sargent has a new manager now at Norwich City that you hope will lead to better results, better performances, better opportunities for him. You still have Jordan Pifak, who maybe doesn't fit stylistically as a starting option. But look, if he starts to score goals again and he, he finds a good rhythm, then you're going to bring him in. You're going to have a look at him. But it's a good problem to have at the striker position that you have some options. But Pepe's your guy. Pepe is absolutely your guy right now. In terms of other players who struggled, Anthony Robinson struggled a bit against Jamaica. 
No two ways about it. Chris Richards, not not his finest hour, not his best performance against Jamaica. He was okay. Did he grab hold of that opportunity to be the starter? I wouldn't say that. DeAndre Yedlin, I think he built on that first performance against Mexico. And he, for for me right now, he is. If anything, he showed himself in this window that look, I you can count on me. You put him. You need someone to start right back. I'll be your guy. If Serginho Dest is not available, I'll be your guy. Did he do enough to surpass Virginia Des? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Des is still your guy, and we and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Des now with Barcelona and Xavi taking over his manager. How what's his role going to be like? Dani Alves has been brought in now by Barcelona to kind of serve as a mentor for Des. So Des is still starting right back for the U.S. But Yedlin, and I feel like I said this last episode, I probably did give him some credit because Greg Berhalter, by all accounts, it seemed like he wasn't a fan. At the beginning of this whole thing. Much like Anthony Robinson. And you give Berhalter credit because he gives players that opportunity to win him over. He, he he gives players that opportunity to improve their standing. It's not like he just kind of d- settles on a player and says, you know what? I don't rate him. That's it. And I'm never going to rate him. We've seen a few instances now where there's a player that you can kind of tell he doesn't necessarily rate. But that that player can still play himself into a better position. And DeAndre Yedlin qualifies as that. Uh, Gianluca Busio got a chance to start. I, you know, I, I've heard some kind of mixed stuff. I know some fans are like, oh, you know, he could have been better, this and that. I, I thought he did okay for a first start. And in in World Cup qualifying, on the road, was it a dominant performance? No. It was an okay performance. Was it a bad? I wouldn't say it was a bad performance by any means. I think it's a first step for him. Learning experience, absolutely. But he's going to be in the conversation. He is going to be in the conversation for playing time. And I know it's tough. It's tough. It's not easy. But those are just some of the performances that, that stood out to me. I'm sure I missed somebody. Tyler Adams, you know, he could could have done better. He set such a high bar. You expect so much from him that when he doesn't just dominate, you, you're kind of like, whoa, what's going on? So his his lackluster performance is as good as some players' good performance. So that's where, to be fair with Tyler Adams, that's kind of he sets the high bar for himself. But give give Jamaica some credit. They battled. They shook off that early Tim Way a goal. Antonio with the absolute golazo, and that, that that's one we'll definitely point to is the goal, right? Mikel Antonio with the wonder wonder strike from distance. Zach Steffen could have done better on that. From the standpoint, he saw it late. He reacted late. He got caught flat footed. If Zach Steffen sees that quickly with his with his athleticism, I think he's able to get a you know get a hand on it, react to it. And I know some people will say, "Well, hey, you know what, Matt Turner, Matt Turner gets that. Matt Turner sees it, he gets it." And that's you can definitely you can argue that that's not like a crazy thing to think. So you know you go you come out of November, you say, "Well, Zach Steffen seems like he's the number one, but is he going to hold on to it?" And is he going to get playing time? That's that's a big question with Zach Steffen. Ederson's the guy. The, Man City's out of the Carabao Cup. Those are games he's not going to get. He'll get FA Cup matches. How often are those, though? Working in his favor heading into the, the January slash February uh, trio of, of qualifiers is the fact that Matt Turner will not be in season either. Steffen will actually be in season. Turner will have the U.S. camp, obviously. He'll have Matt Turner will you have to think will take part in the December camp. Assuming New England isn't making a run to the MLS Cup 
uh, final. And even then, he, 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 you'd imagine he'd make it over to U.S. camp for the last week. But he won't have that. He won't have it. He won't be in the same rhythm in late January as Zach Steffen will be. So Steffen will have that advantage, at least for the next set of qualifiers. But that battle's not over, folks. I know it seems like it might be over with, with Stefan getting both starts in November, but it's not over by any means. But that's it for that performance. It, you still have to be happy. Four points. Job done. I, obviously, ideally, you, you want six, but you get four, six matches to go. You're feeling pretty good. Three, you have three home matches, very winnable home matches. You do have some tough road games, no question. You have to go to Azteca. You have to go to Canada. We still don't know where in Canada, but you have to go to Canada. And obviously you close out the octagonal with a trip to Costa Rica in the last game of the of the of the round. You've never won in Azteca. Uh, you never have won in Azteca. You never have won in San Jose, Costa Rica. Not in qualifying. So that's two tough ones. And then Canada, which is we all know is going to be it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great matchup, whether it's in Vancouver, whether it's in Hamilton. That's going to be a, an amazing match. And we saw what Canada did against Mexico. Impressive, impressive stuff. And and no one should be surprised that they came out there and outplayed Mexico. Mexico is not in great form. There's a lot of there's a lot going on. There's a lot there's a lot of problems with Mexico right now. The honeymoon is ended for Tata Martino. A talented team, a bit of an older team. And it's one of those situations, and I know I've transitioned to Mexico very quickly, but I just kind of want to touch on it. Mexico is a team that has talent. They're a very talented team. But they're a talented team that has veterans who are talented. But the young, the gap between those talented big-name veterans and the, the young talent, there's a big gap. So now you have a situation where several of these veterans, several of the big names, are not in good form. So what happens? The manager is stuck having to kind of play these big names. And I think I touched in this last episode about that that issue and having that problem. And now we saw against Canada, against Canada a Mexico team that just looked flat. And you give Canada credit. They, they played great. But look at some of the moves that Canada makes. John Herdman starts Kyle Aaron over Jonathan David. He has his John Herdman has his players fully trusting and believing in his plans and his decisions and his lineups. You're not hearing about dissension in the ranks because one player starts against one team, one player start doesn't start against another team. Kyle Aaron, Jonathan, David, they they haven't really played together. They've both had to come off the bench, and they, you know what? They buy in. And you have to give John Herdman some credit because he's done a great job of, of managing that, of managing his roster and, and taking full advantage of his depth. And Canada has depth. Not every manager can, can, can strike that balance and, and manage the egos and, and keep everybody happy. Canada's done that. Mexico, not so much. And right now, U.S. has also done that. The U.S. has also... You know, it's not quite as impressive as Canada because, I mean, it's not as if Berhalter is necessarily making those same kind of either-or decisions where someone's stuck on a bench who's not happy. I mean, John Brooks is an example. You don't bring him in into November because you don't think he's in good form. That wasn't an easy decision. Sending Weston McKinney home when he breaks the rules, not an easy decision, but he made him. 
and you give them some credit for, for having to make tough decisions. That's part of the job. U.S. Canada can't wait. That's going to be a heck of a game. Not to get too uh, far ahead of ourselves. Uh, moving away from the qualifying uh, talk from, from the November window, we have to talk U.S. FIFA ranking. Latest FIFA rankings are out, and U.S. is now 12th highest ranking in CONCACAF. They have officially jumped over Mexico. Mexico, with two losses in November, drops to 14th, their lowest ranking since 2018. U.S. is up to 12th. What does that mean at the end of the day? Not much, because, look, neither of these teams is going to move close enough to to be able to be seeded for the World Cup to make it into that top pot, that pot A with the with the very best of teams, which means if you're in that group, if you're in that first pot with the biggest, with the best teams in the world, you don't have to play those teams in, a, in your group stage, in your group. So honestly, it's just really aesthetics at this point. It's like, hey, we're fine. The U.S. is ahead of Mexico. It only took beating them three times to do it, but still. Credit to the U.S., they're up to 12th. Canada, up to 40th. Tied for their highest ranking ever, and the highest ranking they've had since 1996 when they were also 40th. And yet you get this feeling they're only going to keep climbing. With this talent, with this group that they have, they're only going to keep climbing. So credit to them. And yes, U.S. Canada is coming. U.S. Canada in on January 30th. We still don't know where this game is going to be. The rumor for the longest time was Vancouver. There was that, there was that sense that it was kind of a settled business that the U.S.-Canada game would be in Vancouver. But now there are rumblings that Hamilton in Canada... Uh, Hamilton in Ontario, not too far from Toronto, could be the host. That would be an interesting one for sure. And I'm sure U.S. fans wouldn't mind that. Some U.S. fans, at least, because obviously, if it's in the Pacific, if it's in Vancouver, you're going to have the tons of Seattle fans, Seattle and Portland fans that'll make their way up to Vancouver to try to get to that game. Now, if it's in Hamilton, you'll have obviously the more of an East Coast contingent of American fans trying to make their way up there. And conversely. Wherever the, U, the the Canada-U.S. match in Canada is, will have some impact on where the U.S. Can, uh, the U.S.'s matches in that window will take place. And we have seen reporting that Minnesota looks like it will ho- get to host at least one of these matches. So you're talking about some frigid conditions, potentially, whether it's January 27th, whether it's the, the early February match. That's kind of scary to think how cold it could be in Minnesota if it is then or if they have a game in March. March would make, probably make a little bit more sense, but I actually thought when Vancouver was being rumored as U.S.-Canada, the U.S.-Canada likely home, then it kind of made sense that, oh, well, then U.S. could have their game on the 27th of January in Seattle. U.S. El- think about this. U.S. versus El Salvador in Seattle. Alex Roldan against Christian Roldan in Seattle. U.S. versus El Salvador. I mean, that's crazy if you think about it. But we still don't know. Things have not been decided yet. There is some time. We've got this two months. There's still two two months to go. Hopefully, we'll get a get some news on that soon on where these matches will be, so people can start making their plans to to see where they're going to be for these matches in January and February. Now, moving on to MLS and the MLS playoffs kick off this weekend. We do have some MLS news to get into. Bob Bradley is out as head coach of LAFC. His contract is up at the end of this season, and they, they will not be renewing. He he and the team, according to the reports, according to the club, is that they've agreed to you know part ways. And I gotta say, I wasn't. I didn't come away super shocked by this, just because it's been four years. 
Bob Bradley, I feel like he's done a great job building a, a strong, uh, successful team there. Attractive team. Excellent style. Now, obviously, there was, this was a disappointing season. You don't make the playoffs. All the issues that you had. But still, Bob Bradley's still one of the best coaches in the league. He was, and you have to think he'll be back in the league somewhere at some point. Very curious who steps in now. Who does LAFC turn to? Steve Chirondolo is obviously coaching the Las Vegas USL affiliate, so there's those ties there. Could Chirondolo step in there? Ante Razov, uh, assistant coach at LAFC, obviously a Bob Bradley mentee, highly rated coach. I was a little surprised Ante Razov wasn't the choice in Chicago. Ezra Hendrickson is going to be the coach. I know there's reports saying that it's going, it's likely to happen. It's getting close. My understanding, it's done. It's been done. At this point, it's formalities, but Ezra Anderson will be the coach of the fire. I was a little surprised about Ante Razov not getting that job. Between Razov and Bob Bradley, I would have thought one of those two would make a, too much sense to be the new fire coach. But congrats to Ezra Hendrickson, and great to see another black coach get an opportunity in MLS. It's been a long time where opportunities have been very rare for black coaches in MLS. And obviously one of the most successful coaches this year, Robin Frazier, you have to hope, has shown that, look, you give a black coach an opportunity, they can't succeed. And before Frazier, you obviously had Patrick, Patrick Vieira, who, although he's not American, still black coach comes into the league, shows he can succeed, given the opportunity. And hopefully we see more opportunities there. And now Ezra Hendrickson is that next coach that has that opportunity. But I am curious to see where Bob Bradley ends up. I know Toronto FC needs a coach. Could see the Bob Bradley, Michael Bradley reunion in Toronto. And I'll tell you this. If I'm Bob Bradley, I'm not going anywhere where I can't be the 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 boss of everything. The Bruce Arena, I'll call it. Bruce Arena runs the show in New England. And he negotiated that. When New England went went after Bruce Arena, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm interested, but I need to be the boss of bosses. I need to be the coach. I need to be the general manager. I need to run the whole show. The buck stops with me. I make all decisions. I sign off on everything. And I feel like Bob Bradley has earned that. So I could, I could see that being where Bob Bradley saw this as an opportunity to make a move. No offense, nothing against John Thorrington and LAFC. Obviously, Bradley and Thornton, you know, obviously had a long-held relationship before this, before LAFC. But still, if you're Bob Bradley, you see Bruce Arena with New England. You see Peter Vermees in Sporting Kansas City. And you say to yourself, you know what? I want that. I want total control. I want the final say on everything. So I can actually show, you know what? If I can make all, if I can be the head decision maker on everything, that we can win, that I can win, that I can lift trophies. And the question is, who? what teams are willing to do that? What teams are willing to give a coach that much leverage, that much autonomy? Not every organization was will, would be willing to do that. And obviously in Toronto, you have Ali Curtis is there in terms of the front office. And I'm sure he's feeling the heat a bit because, you know, he went, he hired Chris Armas, didn't work out. Team is uh, obviously in a bit of disarray. They have to rebuild. There's rumors of Sebastian Jovinko potentially coming back there. But I would be very curious if to see if Toronto would be willing to give Bob Riley or any coach that kind of power to head the front office and be the head coach. You obviously have FC Cincinnati now, who still hasn't hired a coach, but they hired Chris Albright to run their front office. So in that standpoint, you, I mean, I, not that I thought Bob Bradley would go to Cincinnati. Yeah, that one, I, I 
I could not imagine that one. That one would surprise me. Absolutely. But we'll see what Bob Bradley winds up. And I'll tell you what. Just as I said when Bruce Arena was out of a job. And I said, look, New England should hire Bruce Arena. Give him total control. If they do that, they will win. Same applies to Bob Bradley. The team that gives Bob Bradley the controls, the power to run a team in MLS is going to succeed. They're going to win. So we'll see. We'll see who who, who takes uh, takes the opportunity. There's definitely there's a lot of openings. You've got uh, you know Vancouver. My understanding is they're going to stick with their their interim coach. That he's gonna he's gonna get a two year extension. That's that's the word that I'm hearing. You've got San Jose, who's, who's hired general manager. Matias Almeida's there, but it's, again, as is every offseason, Matias Almeida, subject of, of interest from, from abroad. And I think he will. I think this is the offseason where he goes. I think he leaves. And I think then San Jose, that's, that for me, San Jose is an attractive uh, position. That's an attractive organization in terms of, you know, they, they've got some good young talent there. They've, they've got the nice stadium. There's potential there. That's an attractive job for me. So there's some there's some jobs out there that are still you know still to be decided. Real Salt Lake they haven't I don't believe made a decision yet on their head coach. So we'll see. It's gonna be a busy busy off season. Let's talk playoffs. We're gonna wrap this up. It's a bit of a shorter episode, not shorter, but there's a lot, there's a lot to get into. Uh, but obviously the playoffs kick off this uh, this week, the MLS playoffs, and we do have to get into who do we see coming away. As the favorites in in the playoffs, who are the who are the who are the real teams? There's 14 teams in the in the running, so I'm going to give you the rundown, give you my ranking real quick, little speed round action, my my particular rankings. Now you can see uh, you can go on SBI if you're a subscriber, you can go on SBI and you can see my my playoff team rankings. But I'll, I'll break them down for you real quick here. And number 14, Real Salt Lake. No offense to Real Salt Lake. They, they've got an interesting team. They'll give anybody trouble when you have Demir Krylock and Albert Rusnak. Uh, David Ochoa has shown some good things. But for me, consistency has been a big issue with them. And their defense, I think, is pretty weak. So that's why I have them last. And they definitely have a rough They have a rough road to go when you have to play Seattle in the first round. And Seattle, you know, for me, is one of the favorites. So RSL's last. 13th, Vancouver Whitecaps. They're, you know, it's been a great run for them. Uh, I think they've done a very good job just to get into the playoffs, but it's uh, from there, it's going to be a little tough. You have to play, you have to beat Sporting Kansas City in that first match. Then from there, you know what? Things can get interesting. Do they have a chance? They have a chance to make an up, to pull an upset because KC looks a little vulnerable the way they finished the season. But beyond that, I don't see the Whitecaps making a run. And in a number 12, you have the Red Bulls, New York Red Bulls. Now they come in, They, I think they lost one out of the last 12 matches. They're, they're playing with confidence. They're a young team. They're a fearless team, but I just I just don't see I see could they beat the Union in the first match? Yes, absolutely. Do I see them making a run beyond that? No. Uh and look, they they ha- they've gotten better on the road. I'll give them that. But that 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 record has come against some weaker opponents, to be fair. And the Union are are playing very well. Union one of the better home teams in the league. So right off the bat, the Red Bulls are in a tough spot. But still, credit to them and Gerhard Struber for the way they turn things around. Heading into next year, you want to see what kind of pieces they add. And you feel like there's something there. There's something positive happening there if they make some big additions in the offseason. 
Number 11, Minnesota United, obviously a team that needed, you know, needed the result right at the end to just get in. Uh, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's an interesting one in the West, right? If you feel like it's, it's kind of open. I mean, I know Seattle for me, you know, not to get ahead of the rankings here, but see, Seattle, you look at as the favorite. Colorado, you look at as a team that obviously you can't ignore, but they're a bit young. So there's a potential here for a surprise for a, a team that could go on a run. Is Minnesota that team? It's tough. I, I, I It's tough for me to see it just because consistency has been such an issue for them. So I think they could do some things, have get a win or two, but I don't see them winning a title. Not Minnesota. In at number 10, Atlanta United. I like Atlanta United. I think they're absolutely a team that could pull a shock or two. And they, they have talent. Like they, They're a team that's better than their record. Obviously, since Gonzalo Pineda took over and even just before, basically since Gabriel Hines left, we've seen them show more of the quality that you expect from them. So they can beat anybody. But right off the bat, they have to go to the Yankee Stadium. Which not, it's not easy to win in Yankee Stadium. That small field, which is definitely suited for NYCFC. So right off the bat, tough first test. Tough first test for Atlanta. But Atlanta's good. Atlanta's a threat. So don't sleep on them too much, but it's pretty tough. It's going to be a tough road for them in terms of trying to get back to winning another MLS Cup. Number nine, Orlando City. Darryl Dike is in excellent form. Uh, Pedro Gallese's outstanding goalkeeper, uh, who's in good form as well. Oscar Pareja is a coach I respect. I th- they, they're, they're an interesting one. They have a tough, obviously, first match against Nashville. So right off the bat, big hurdle. Could they pull an upset there? Against a Nashville team that's been unbelievable on at home, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But Orlando City, uh, good step for them this year. I think they, they've had a pretty solid season despite some some challenges for them. Number eight, NYCFC. I feel like NYCFC, you know, if not for the anti-tenor home injury that ended his season and now Keaton Parks missing the playoffs, if not for those absences, I think they'd be a team that I'd be I'd be I'd have a lot closer to the pack of true contenders. There's still a handful. You still have uh, Tati Castellanos. You still have Maxi Morales. You still have Sean Johnson in goal. So the quality's there. There's co- the quality's there. I still, you know, the Atlanta NYCFC game for me is probably the best match of the first round of the playoffs. That one's going to be fireworks. So NYCFC, they they could do some things, but I think those injuries ultimately hurt them and keep them from being a legitimate threat to win the title this year. Number seven, Portland Timbers. They're an interesting one, right? Because they have players with some championship experience. They've shown their ability to win a tournament, as we saw last year in the MLS's back tournament. Sebastian Blanco is an absolute killer. When when the money's on the line, he makes it happen. So you like their chances to do some things. But to make a run, their defense isn't good enough, in my opinion. That's, that's, that's kind of the big issue there. So, you know, I think that's what keeps them from really being a threat. To make a deep run. Can they, can they knock off a team or two? Absolutely. But to make a deep run, their defense for me is not good enough. Now, at number six, you have a team whose defense is good enough, and that's Nashville SC. Gary Smith's team, solid, excellent at home, building on last year's success. They are in the conversation, right? Hani Mukhtar, MVP candidate. Very. This is a very good team. Their attack is a little inconsistent for my money. And the big question for me is CJ Sapong, will he – be able to carry the scoring load in the playoffs. Because Hani Mukhtar obviously is a threat. He's been an outstanding MVP caliber player. But you need CJ Sepong 
to deliver you the goals in the playoffs. If he can do that, Nashville could could beat anybody. And I'll go with they could, but I'm not saying they will. Number five, Philadelphia Union. I feel like people, I feel like the Union are being slept on a bit because obviously last year they were the supporters of winners, and then they fell flat in the playoffs. Or that's not as fair. They lost to a very good New England team. They lose Brendan Aronson. They lose Mark McKenzie. They've bounced back here. They needed a run at the end of the season to kind of jump back up to the number two seed. And maybe that's why people aren't looking at them in this light as a true contender. But the Union are a contender, folks. They're a solid team. Excellent goalie. Obviously, Andre Blake's one of the best, if not the best, in MLS. Defense is pretty solid. Not as good as it's been in the past. That's And that's kind of probably the question mark there. Because they have an attack. They have Casper Shabilko. Uh, Gazdag has really come on now. Sergio Santos is starting to warm up a bit. Uh, Jamiro Montero, obviously, they've got some good pieces in the attack. They're a good team. They're good. They, and Jim Curtin, obviously, has done shown well as a coach. He's really done an, an amazing job there. The Union are, are a threat. I think people are sleeping on the Union. I think they're in the conversation to make a deep run. Number four, the Rapids. What to make of the Colorado Rapids? When you finish first in the Western Conference, you deserve some respect, right? No question about it. So why are they number four here and not number two, number three, or even number one? Basically, I think it comes down to them being a young team. And when you're a young team, you have to go through it. You have to get that experience. You have to go through those battles. And then... You know, after you've done that, then you can take the next step. And I think this is what the Rapids are going to have to go through this year. I think this year they're going to go through the experience of being a good team and having to carry those expectations. So I think, I think, look, Robin Fraser, coach of the year for me, uh, great job. This is an interesting team. They, they can give anyone trouble, no question. And the home field advantage of playing at altitude in Colorado is nothing to sneeze at. That's a big, big chip in their favor right but i think the inexperience will cost them in the end which is why i can't see them going all the way to winning a title as much as we've seen a rapids team be an underdog and win a title before 2010 circa 2010 yes i get that but i just don't see this rapids team doing it if they did it would i be shocked yeah i would be i would be a little shocked but we'll see we'll see what they can do number three sporting kansas city now here's the team right They've got the pieces to, to, to make a run at the title, right? But they they ended their season looking a little flat. A lot flat, actually. They obviously had injuries toward the end that they weren't they didn't have their full cast of characters there. Alan Polito's been out. They've had some injuries. And you just kind of wonder, is this the case of another sporting Kansas City team that's coming into the playoffs tired, coming into the playoffs not at their best? And that's kind of why maybe people aren't looking at KC right now. Because of that history, that recent history. Uh, that that track record of kind of coming in flat into the playoffs or coming in fatigued. So that that's going to be the question there. Can they get healthy? Can they find that energy and find that level? When Casey's at their best, they're one of the best teams in the league, no question. But we haven't seen their best enough in the past month, which is why they're not number one and number two here. I have them in number three out of respect for Peter Vermees. And out of respect for the talent that they do have. And Daniel Shaloy, Johnny Russell, one of the best one-two punches in the league right now in terms of just what they've done this season. So, KC, I have him at number three. Is that a little generous? <clears throat> Maybe. Maybe it's a little generous. But they get it together. They could absolutely make a run. Number two, the Seattle Sounders. 
And honestly, I could have them number one. If you're asking me who, who, who am I putting my money on to win MLS Cup, I'm putting my money on Seattle. And why? Because they're healthy now. They're, get, they're getting healthy. Their big guns are back. And when they have all hands on deck, their top players, Rui Diaz, Lodero, Jordan Morris is back now. <clears throat> they have it all. They have the championship experience. They have Brian Schmetzer uh, pulling the strings. He's won an MLS. He's won MLS Cup before multiple times. So everything is there for them to win. Now, you can argue, well, they have to play that extra game. They're not the number one seed. They might have to win in Colorado. So that's why you don't, you know, they have more obstacles because of what happened, because they dropped those points in the second half of the season. But make no mistake, folks, this Seattle team has it all to win the title. And if they get to the final, and if and let's say New England's in the final, Seattle, New England, that will be a final for the ages for me. And I hope, I would not mind if that's the final. I'll tell you that right now. But yes, Seattle, you definitely have to respect the Sounders. And number one, the number one playoff team, the number one seed, the favorite, the record-setting New England Revolution. Your supporter shield winners. Best regular season in the history of MLS. Bruce Arena pulling the strings. Matt Turner in goal. Carlos Gill running the attack. Gustavo Bo. Uh, just they, you name it, they have it. They have the balance. They have the quality in the attack. They have the defensive uh, stability. They have everything. They have everything in place to win a title. So they are the favorites. They are the one seed in the East. And you, I, you know what? There's no reason they shouldn't win. Everything is there if they can stay healthy. They are the, they are the favorites. They should win. However, we know MLS Cup, one game, situa- one game situation, you never know. And if it's in New England, Seattle, Seattle has that MLS Cup experience. So, mm, ho- you know what? If it's Rev Sounders, that's going to be one for the ages. No question. But New England is your favorite. They're the number one seed overall. And Bruce Arena, if he gets that done, you're talking about winning a title with a third different team. And, I mean, he's already you talk, he's already Hall of Fame coach, no question, one of the best, if not the best of all time. That would absolutely cement his status as the best of all time in MLS. But that's the field, and obviously the playoffs start this weekend. As I said, Union Red Bulls. Sporting Kansas City Whitecaps on Saturday, and then NYCFC Atlanta and Timbers Minnesota United on Sunday. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with an episode to recap that. But I think we've touched on everything. That that's the field, folks. That's the playoff field. The playoffs are always uh, they're always entertaining, and I think this year's not going to be any different. There's going to be some really good stories to follow, some teams that are going to be fun to watch, and some matchups that are going to be absolutely exciting. Can't wait for it to start. This weekend, but I think that wraps it up. I think we've touched on everything there is to touch on, at least for this episode. Um, we'll be back on Monday to recap things and see who's standing and who's already been eliminated. Um, but next episode, we'll get into we'll get back into the national team talk, even though it's the quote unquote off season for the U.S. men's national team. There's still so much to get into. Obviously, we have Americans abroad. I didn't touch on Americans abroad now. This show is on Saturday morning. Most of the top Americans abroad are playing on Saturday. Um, Tyler Adams in Leipzig against Chris Richards and, and Hoffenheim is one. You're going to want to see what's going on with Sergio Dest of Barcelona, obviously. Uh, new manager at Norwich City for Josh Sargent. Christian Pulisic, now that he's healthy, how many more minutes will he get at Chelsea? There's going to be a lot of things to watch there as well. We'll, get, we'll obviously get more into Americans abroad next episode. But for now, that's it. I'm Ivis Kolarsip. Thank you for listening. As always, make sure you subscribe if you can to the to SBISoccer.com for all your American soccer coverage. And I will start to have some 
exclusive episodes of the SBI show on SBI Soccer for subscribers. The show itself is not going to be under subscription completely, but I am going to start having some extras for our subscribers. And for those of you listening who have subscribed already, thank you so much. Uh, It's definitely been great to see the support for the site. And obviously we will continue to step our game up, try to step our game up to bring you as much bang for your buck for that subscription dollar as possible. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is the SBI Show.